This episode of Scandal Water contains adult themes and descriptions of violence. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Hello, Candy. Hey, Ashley. How are you today? I'm good. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm. I'm excited about our topic. Although, heads up, it's a little dark. Oh, it's a little okay. dark, but okay. but it's significant. Okay. With that. How about we jump right into it? I am ready. Okay, well, how's this for an opening question? Oh, gosh. When I ask you about stalking, the oh. issue of stalking, okay, what comes to mind? People that follow you. Is that what you mean? Kind of yeah, like the, stalking. Yeah. Okay, people that find out stuff about you, they follow you, they... Um, Sometimes it can be as bad as they take your identity. Honestly, I don't know a lot about it because mm-hmm. thankfully I've not really had... Yeah. A stalker ever. Thank goodness. Yes. Yeah. Is that where this is going? Well, it is. Do you know of any famous cases, celebrity cases by any chance? Um, okay. The one, and I don't know if this falls into your definition, the one case that I know of, the Rebecca Schaefer case, mm-hmm. where the gentleman, well, I don't want to call him a gentleman, the person stalked her to her home and then killed her because mm-hmm. he was a huge fan. And that's the basis. I remember watching the show she was on, My Sister Sam. and But I think it, in my head, I had remembered that she was still on it when this happened, but she was not. The show was already mm-hmm. over. And then she was, I think she actually had an audition for The Godfather mm-hmm. and to be the character that that um, the daughter got Mm -hmm. later. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I remember. Yeah. Well, you remember quite a bit. That's actually going to be the focus of our... (gasps) Oh, Rebecca Schaefer is? It is. It is. Okay. That's a terrible tragedy, but it also led to the first ever anti-stalking laws. Did it really? Yes, it did. I did not know that. Okay. Out of horrific, awful events, something positive did come of that. But just to kind of follow that original question through, asking you about what comes to mind with stalking and and if you had any cases that that immediately popped into your head, I thought about it myself and Uh I remembered, do you remember um, ever hearing about Teresa Saldana? I think that's how you say it. I can remember at some point, I don't even know how long ago this was, but watching the movie, she starred in, she might have even written it, I think, the story of what happened to her. She was the lead actress in the story of an attack on herself by a stalker. I looked it up just to be able to offer a little bit more information, but she was this actress who got her start in 1978. She was in a film about Beatlemania, and then this led into a different movie called Defiance, which was a 1980 revenge thriller, and then her big break was when she was cast in Raging Bull, the sister-in-law of the character played by Robert De Niro. So this was like a big deal. This was kind of what put her name on the map. Well, at some point along the way, she drew the attention of this man, this star on March 15th, 1982, when she was leaving her apartment building in West Hollywood, she was heading to a music class. This man walks up to her, asks her if she is Teresa Saldana. When she says yes, he pulls out a knife and he stabs her 10 times in the chest, arms and legs with a hunting knife. Oh my goodness. And what I can remember, because this was a long time ago when I saw this, I can remember being so disturbed watching the movie because not only was this attack so horrible, so vicious, in the movie, the way they portrayed this were, was that there were all these people around that didn't do anything, that did nothing. Oh. They were just like watching. Oh, and finally, this man who was, I believe, delivering water. I mean, he was like a delivery person. He steps in and grabs this guy, the attacker, and wrestles him to the ground and ends up. So saving these people her. are watching as she's getting stabbed, mm-hmm. and no one is stepping in to help her. Yeah, I'm kind of going on a little bit of a rabbit hole, but what I remember is this led into a lot of conversations about spectator apathy. Yeah, you know, like, so you think some. Somebody else is going to do it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the more people that are there 
witnessing and doing nothing actually leads to better chances of people not reacting or calling mm. for help or stepping in because because you know nobody else is doing anything you so don't, they're not you don't feel that either. responsibility for yourself oh that's awful so anyway they saved her life she goes on to create this movie she also founded victims for victims which was an organization devoted to helping others who had suffered violent attacks and she did campaign for anti-stalking laws but th- did hers predate Rebecca Schaefer's it did okay this was in 1982 that she was attacked. Okay. The guy who attacked her ends up serving, his name was Arthur Jackson. He served 15 years in prison. He was extradited to Britain for a trial in connection with some other things he had done. And he was sent to a psychiatric hospital where he died in 2004. But she did go on to star in The Commish. Oh. Yeah. She was in, and that was, I think, one of the more recent things for her. Yeah, I think I remember seeing that. Mm -hmm. So what... What I find really interesting about that is that she was able to relive that experience. I wonder if it was traumatic or if it was, I don't know if liberating is the right word, but freeing to Mm -hmm. have control of the situation the second time around. I don't remember her exact words, but based on what I read in one of the interviews, it was the latter. She actually found it to be freeing that she was able to kind of take control of it. And this time she was acting it out, but she was in control and she survived. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and she knew that she was telling an important story. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, she saw it as a positive. I can identify with that a little bit because there was something, there was a accident that I was in when I was much, much younger and it was very traumatic for me. Mm -hmm. And I ended up writing about it in the second film that we made was kind of based on the experience that I had had. And I remember that because I had never talked about it, anytime I would try to talk about it, I would cry or I would get a really, really bad headache. Mm-hmm. But after going through the experience of creating the film, mm-hmm. it was like there was this release and I could finally start to talk about it and let it go. The film was made like 10 years after the fact. Mm-hmm. So, so it's therapeutic in a way, kind of helped very... you deal with some of the emotions and the trauma. Yes, very much. Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted to start with that and I, I am purposely um, you know sharing that story about Teresa Saldana because first of all I mean I really did remember that it made it made a huge impact on me mm-hmm. but also as you pointed out it kind of helps to set the context this was 1982 this happened to this woman mm-hmm. a stalker attacked her nearly killed her mm-hmm. and there were no laws at that time protecting protecting anybody Pretend, you know yeah. so it kind of helps to set the context and also this actually comes back again in this story with Rebecca Schaefer okay so it just to me it's like it's so awful that horrible things have to happen before people mm -hmm. will go oh this shouldn't happen although you and I have never experienced the stalker phenomenon it's happened right it's been here since the dawn of time I'm sure so why did it take until the 80s or until what happened to Rebecca for this to change why why does it like is there a quota of well x amount of people have to die before we think this is a serious thing or how much public outcry yeah how loud do people have to get before something is done right let's go ahead and move now into Rebecca's story so Rebecca Schaefer was born in Oregon in 1967 and she was the only child of a psychologist father and a writer mother so she had I'm sure a an amazing upbringing Mm -hmm. her father Benson was actually interviewed for this 2020 episode which I just need to give a huge shout out right now this 2020 episode was amazing it was filmed in April of 2019 they were coming up on the 30th you know 30 30 years years after her death Wow, and so I think the title was called Your Biggest Fan Mm. and if you want to know more about the story you should definitely check out that episode a lot of the information that I've included in this comes from that because they had interviews with her parents with friends with a lot of people involved in this whole situation so having given them that shout out let me go ahead and move on here Rebecca was bright bubbly in fact one of her friends in the interview described her as a small person with a big personality. Mm, I know a few people like that. <laughs> and she showed initiative from a very young age. Her dad, I believe it was, shared that she was riding horses by the time she was six. And by 14, she had already discovered acting. I'm not sure if this was a high school production, but they did mention that she had already performed in Witness for the Prosecution. Oh, that's a good play. Mm-hmm. And kind of a mature play yeah, yeah. for a young girl to be doing. But she'd already done that by 14. And And then she became involved with a modeling agency. And by 16 years of age, she had decided to move to New York to pursue acting while also doing some modeling. These girls that have this determination, I really admire them. You know, I wanted to act. I wanted to do all that. But I did not have that kind of drive. Right. I was like, no. Or the me. 
means. No, you've got no, to have some support course, to be able to do course, things like yes, that. No. In fact, they talked about when they sent her off, they set her up with this older friend, somebody kind of to watch out to for watch her. her. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was a, a great idea if you're going to send a 16 year old to New York into, into the world, <laughs> yeah. have a, have someone that she could check in with. Exactly. Well, her break came when she was cast in the soap opera One Life to Live, and that mm-hmm. was a big deal because back in the 80s, soaps were huge. Mm-hmm. She earned the role of Annie Barnes, which was a recurring role, and it gained her a lot of positive attention, which then led to her next big break, which was when, as you already said, Ashley, she was selected to play Pam Dauber's kid sister, Patty, which was a lead role in the TV show My Sister Sam. Really? She went from the soap opera to that? That's a big leap. That's the way it laid out in my sources. I don't wow. know that there was... No, I, I believe it. That's just... That's that's luck. Well, they were looking for somebody who could believably be Pam Dauber's kid sister, and sure. so Pam mentioned she was one of the many people interviewed in this 2020 episode she said this girl Rebecca was just perfect she mm-hmm. looked like her but she mm-hmm. was bubbly and mm-hmm. she was so confident and she just I think stole their hearts mm-hmm. in case people don't know Pam Dauber was the actress who played against Robin Williams in Mork and Mindy She's which was a huge humongous hit. hit yes in the late 70s and early 80s she's also married to Mark Harmon yes she is <laughs> still to this day yes, yes which is awesome one of those long time Hollywood marriages and romances that's awesome well at the time that they were casting my sister Sam, Pam Dauber was a household name after Mork and Mindy, Mm -hmm. but they're leading into this new show, My Sister Sam. So there was a lot of press. Winning this role was big for Rebecca Schaefer. And this is kind of cool. I have a lot of respect for Pam Dauber because it said that after Rebecca was cast, she needed to move from New York to California. And so she actually lived with Pam Dauber for a few months. Pam Aww. helped her get settled in, help her find her way, found it her probably, new home. It was nothing but a benefit because it would help them bond as sisters. It would make them more believable on the show. 100%. In fact, they talked about that. They said mm-hmm. because they lived together, their mm-hmm. relationship, as you said, was so much tighter. They really knew each other. They mm-hmm. brought it right mm-hmm. onto screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's smart. Let me back up for just a second. My Sister Sam is a sitcom about this 29-year-old San Francisco freelance photographer named Samantha, or Sam for short. That's the Pam Dauber character Mm -hmm. and her 16-year-old sister, Patty, played by Rebecca. So what happens is Patty had been living with the Aunt Elsie and Uncle Bob in this other place in Oregon after the death of these girls' parents. But she suddenly shows up on Sam's doorstep one day and announces that now she's going to live with Sam. This also reminds me of the film I was talking about earlier. Lots of shades of what we did in the Hepburn Girls. That's weird. (laughs) Lots of connections. Yeah. So again, because of the nature of the show itself and the way their their interactions were as these characters and also the fact that they had lived together, there was almost kind of a little bit of a maternal relationship mm-hmm, between mm-hmm. Pam Dauber and Rebecca well, age Schaefer. age difference too. Yeah. yeah. And so they, they, they got really close. And the show was a hit. It said that Rebecca received a lot of attention and praise for her acting skills and she gained some fame, as you would expect. Mm-hmm. She was invited to do different projects. For example, she was one of the co-hosts of the Thanksgiving Thanksgiving Parade. She made the cover of Seventeen Magazine, and she and Pam together were featured on the cover of TV Guide, which they said was a really big deal back then. That is a really big deal. Yeah. That's a lot really fast. Yeah, because all of this has happened by the time she is 19 years old. Wow. Mm-hmm. In fact, literally the next line of what I was going to say, by okay. the time she was 19, Rebecca had an older boyfriend named Brad Silberling. She was in her second year of a hit show, and she was now living on her own as an actress in California. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, I'm trying to, I'm picturing myself at 19. Oh, no. No. No, I wouldn't have made it. No. <laughs> I can't imagine. I'd, I'd be chum. No. Yeah. Well, so things are looking great for her. But then the first concerning thing that happened actually didn't even register to her as being concerning at that time. Yeah, that's another thing probably with being so young. She was so innocent. And, yes. And, and even yes. though a lot has happened to her, but this is a very short period of time, really. Yes. To think about going from rural Oregon to suddenly you're just in this all this limelight all this attention yes yeah that's just a lot and I don't I don't want to trivialize this by going oh true crime but part of it is that that thing we keep going back to about knowing at least having you don't have to be obsessed with it kind of like you and I are but having a working knowledge of 
true crime maybe would make your senses go up. And I'm not blaming her for what happened to her. Of course not. But with all of this, I feel like, I don't know, I'm making this up as I say it. I feel like there needs to be a class for ingenues and these Mm -hmm. people who are going into Hollywood where it's like, hey, from older actresses or older people who've been through it, like, this is what you need to watch out for. If this is a sign, if this happens, just know that this this could happen and to know about these cases and just Mm -hmm. to have a working knowledge so that it doesn't happen again. Yeah, I think it's interesting what you're saying. I go back to the time period, right? The context. This was pre-internet. Yeah. This was pre-true crime, you know, craze. Mm -hmm. Back then, you probably didn't have these well-known stories around you. In the newspapers, you would have. You know, remember, we can go back to the Radium Girls. It was all over the newspaper. So people have always eaten it up, but not everybody Mm. has made it part of their observation. Right. Interesting. The other interesting point about what you said is that some people did give her some advice. We're going to get to that in a minute. Okay. 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 But but being so young. And and also, you know, when you're that young, I think sometimes you just have that sense of being, you're immune to all of these things. You Mm -hmm. just feel like you can rule the world and nothing bad is going to happen to you. Right. This thing that happened was actually in July of 1987. She was at Warner Brothers Studios with a friend and they were like on the set and this security guard called to say, a friend is here asking to see you. This man had this huge teddy bear and flowers with him. Well, Rebecca didn't know the man, but her friend jumped in to say, nope, send him away. And the security guards did. This man was Robert John Bardo. And a few years later, he is the one who would end up murdering her. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Let's pause for a second on her story and just briefly discuss Robert John Bardo. Okay. He was about two years younger than Rebecca. And so he's 17 at the time that this happened, like the teddy bear thing. At that time, yes. When he kills her, he is 19. Oh, gosh. Because it was a couple years later. Oh, yeah. Okay. He was working as a janitor at a fast food restaurant. And according to the 2020 episode and some testimony from his siblings, he had some severe mental health issues. In fact, they had been severe enough that it had caused him to drop out of high school and he had undergone treatment at one point. Some of the sources mentioned things like threatening people. There was a mention of suspected abuse, all kinds of different things that Mm -hmm. came up. Wikipedia actually offered a little bit more detail. So I'm just going to read this little excerpt to you straight from Wikipedia. It says, Bardo reportedly had a troubled childhood. He was abused by one of his siblings and placed in foster Mm -hmm. care after he threatened to commit suicide. Bardo's family had a history of mental illness and he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. At the age of 15, he was institutionalized for a month to treat emotional problems problems. Bardo dropped out of his high school in the ninth grade and began working as a janitor at Jack in the Box. In the 18 months prior to Schaefer's murder, Bardo had been arrested three times on charges that included domestic violence and disorderly conduct. Mm. Bardo's neighbors also said he had exhibited unexplained, strange, and threatening behavior toward them. Mm. Yeah. Not good. No, that that's, that's a lot. Rebecca had first come across Robert's radar, and this comes, by the way, from some interviews that he did that were aired in the 2020 episode and also oh, he, other places. he was also interviewed? Well, he wasn't interviewed for them. He okay. had done interviews at different times, like with his psychiatrist okay. or with different people. Trying and they to find ha- out they why? Found, yes, and they okay. found clips of that and put it on this episode okay. and other places. In his own interviews, by his own admission, he said that the first time he really noticed her was in a promo for My Sister Sam. She got his attention immediately, yeah. and it was not long after that that he admitted he had videotaped parts of the Thanksgiving parade that she was co-hosting because mm. he was drawn to her, mm-hmm. but he was not drawn only to her. Mm-hmm. He was also attracted to Debbie Gibson and Tiffany, who were some other yeah, popular people mm-hmm. of the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But sadly, it was this innocent move on the part of Rebecca herself that really kind of fanned the flames of his obsession and took it to a new level. Oh, no. And it's exactly what we were saying a minute ago, that innocence, that not understanding the danger. The danger. Mm-hmm. What happened was she responded to one of his many fan letters oh yeah so he kind of made up a relationship in his mind exactly Mm. exactly rebecca of course was excited by all this fame and attention i mean she's a 19 year old girl i mean i can imagine how excited i would be to be getting fan letters like that now pam daubert and another person two different people in this 2020 episode talked about giving rebecca advice about how to be safe so For example, one of them had said, this I believe might have been her modeling agent representative, had said never when they request a picture 
from you? Don't you write anything special? Don't okay. you give them any information? You send them the picture with your signature on it. That's it. I wonder why. Just to not... No inc- encouragement. <laughs> no personal information. The people I wrote to when I was a kid, they did not follow that. Because, you know, some <laughs> of them did. And some of them, you know, like I've mentioned the happy mm-hmm. 17th birthday. And I, I felt super special. But I also did not think that we were best friends. Right. You know, I understood that this is very cool that they acknowledge me but there was no nothing people like this fella he did Did not not. get that pam dauber said her advice was to make sure that rebecca never revealed anything about where she lived she Mm -hmm. told her you do not put your real name on your mailbox Mm. different pieces of advice like that Mm -hmm. did she listen well no what happened was um, robert bardo had sent rebecca many letters apparently but to one of those she responded with a handwritten message and she told him quote yours was one of the nicest i got in terms of fan letters and she enclosed a picture with it robert took that as a sign that she was encouraging him oh gosh and it was not long after that that he decided he was going to go see her which is this incident that we just talked about in 1987 when he showed up with a five-foot teddy bear and flowers all right let's kind of tease that out a little bit more that was the summer of 87 he flew to Burbank. He got a taxi. He rented a hotel, and then he went over to Warner Brothers Where's Studios. Where's he getting all this as money? We said. That's a good question. Now he 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 was a janitor. Mm-hmm. Later, we're going to find out that he took a bus. So I think this is this was the only time that there was mention of taking a flight. Okay. The other times it, it specifically talked about taking a bus. Okay, maybe he used up all his savings on mm-hmm. that first. Maybe back to what we were saying. Oh, so the issue is he talked about how simple it was for him to get onto the set and how he almost got to Rebecca herself. Had it not been for that friend saying, no, you know, send this guy away, the security guards probably would have given him access to her. Really? And then he shared in that interview how very frustrated and angry he was when he was turned away. There was some talk about he showed agitation, but nobody talked to the police. Nobody reported anything to the police at this time. What do you think, just wildly speculating, would have happened had he shown up? Had he gotten to her, I mean? What do you think would have happened? He did not have a weapon with him at that time. Right, So I don't think there would have been any physical danger to her Uh right then, but I think the level of obsession... It would have sped up. Yeah, I think it would have accelerated because as it was, it was two years later. Right. So time passes. Again, he's not even on her radar. Mm -hmm. She is has no awareness of him at all. My sister Sam gets canceled after the second season, with a big contributing factor being the fact that it lost its great spot between Kate and Allie and the Bob Newhart show. Yeah, you knew I was gonna ask why did it get canceled? Mm, If they're on the cover of TV Guide one year and the next year you're, you know, yesterday's pizza. A lot had to do with its placement. Mm. So Rebecca decided she was going to try her hand at movies. Mm -hmm. She was in The End of Innocence, where she played a young Diane Cannon. She was in something called Voyage of Terror, about a cruise ship that's hijacked by terrorists. And then she did other things, too. But then she was in a movie that ended up actually being a trigger for Robert John Bardo. And this movie was called Scene from the Class Struggle in Beverly Hills. Now, what happened here was, you know, you want to avoid being typecast. Sure. She was this young, innocent character. Oh. And so she decided in this movie, she played a role where she had a big lovemaking scene. Oh, and he got jealous. Mm-hmm. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second. But just to kind of, again, we'll step back in and kind of give some context here. So Rebecca is in a great place. She's been doing these movies. She is serious about her boyfriend, Brad. She's still with him. She's being offered great auditions for interesting roles. And she is spending her free time doing yoga, reading, writing. And she's also moved to a new apartment complex in West Hollywood. Although that actually took a little bit of adjustment. Brad, who was also interviewed for this special, talked about the fact that at first she was a little creeped out, you know, living alone in this new place. And sometimes Mm -hmm. she would call him up in the night and say, will you come over? I'm hearing sounds. And Mm -hmm. so there was a little bit of, mm, I don't know, um, hesitation Mm -hmm. with her new Mm -hmm. place. But otherwise, things are great. And then she had that really exciting event that you mentioned. In July of 1989, when she was 21 years old, she learned that she had gotten an audition for the role of Mary, the daughter of Michael Corleone, Corleone. Uh-huh. Yes, in The Godfather Part 3. And they were going to send her a script so she could prepare. Sophia Coppola. I could not think of her name earlier. Yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Do you remember now? The delay is real strong today. <laughs> <laughs> On the day that she would end up dying, July 18th, 1989, Rebecca was waiting for a courier to bring her the script mm. so that she could read over the part because she wanted to prepare for a meeting with the director, Francis Ford Coppola. Mm. 
So that was her big thing. That morning, mm-hmm. she was waiting for a delivery. Mm-hmm. She was waiting. And that's waiting. why she answered the door. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. Before we continue, do you think we should take a little break? Yeah, I'm sad. So on this day that she is waiting for this courier to show up, she has no idea that this very, very upset and obsessed Robert Bardo is heading her way. So let's go back to that movie, Scenes from the Class Struggle in Beverly Hills. That's a very odd title. It is. And you know, I didn't even remember that she had done films. Mm. I thought that The Godfather was going to be the big break. Break for her. And it would have been a big break. Sure. But but I didn't know mm -hmm. that she had had any other film. In my mind, you know, what did you say? It was 1989. So I'd have been about nine when this Mm -hmm. happened i just remembered my sister sam murder so in my brain the two were configured and they got canceled because she got murdered right that was my memory of it yeah well this was a surprise to me too but what happened was he was so triggered by her love scene that this is a quote from him all those rageful feelings How dare she? She's mine. She's supposed to stay innocent for me. Mm. This is what he told his psychologist. And this is what he said he was thinking. I'm going to punish you and permanently possess you by taking your life. And then in his diary, which he wrote at a different point, he said, I have an obsession with the unattainable and I need to destroy that which I cannot obtain. So these are the things that are going through his mind as he's heading towards her that day. Because you would just think if you love her that much, why do you, obviously we don't know their minds, but why would you kill something you love so much? But that happens every day. I know it does. It's a level of illness, I guess. Well, in one of the sources, it said it was a highly organized plan. And it was because I started kind of listing this almost like in bullet points here is exactly step by step of what he did first he tried to purchase a firearm but the gun store owner refused to sell it to him because he felt really strongly something was off about this guy in fact the owner was so concerned that he posted a picture of bardo like on the wall they said as a reminder like don't don't sell sell to to this this guy Mm -hmm. so then robert gets his brother to buy the gun now his brother later is going to testify that it was because robert couldn't buy the gun because he was under 21 not Mm. that you know, he knew anything about what was going on. Just the fact that, oh, you know, he wanted a gun. Why would you buy a gun for your mentally ill brother? Well, Why that's would you a good question. That? And that, that came up a lot. Then after his brother purchased the gun, Robert John Bardo purchased hollow point bullets because he had heard how devastating oh. we were, they were. And that once they entered a victim, they would explode inside that mm. person and do terrible damage. Mm. So that was a purposeful purchase. Then he realized he would have to find Rebecca. And he remembered reading about the Teresa Saldana case in a People magazine. And in that case, the stalker who found Teresa and stabbed her found her by hiring a private eye. So that is what inspired this guy to hire a private investigator to get Rebecca Schaefer's information. Oh, no, no. I know. The PI went to the DMV, the Department of Motor Vehicles, and he was able to get Rebecca's address, one source said, for a fee of $4. Oh, my goodness. Oh. So Robert gets the address, but it's about a month later that he tells his sister he's going to California to, quote, save Rebecca Schaefer. And he leaves. He tells his sister, you know your brother is mentally unstable. And he says he's going to go save a movie star and you didn't think to say anything? Like, brothers bought him a gun. Sister says he's going to go. This is not adding up to a good puzzle, guys. And it makes me think about nowadays, there are so many different, I don't know what you would call them, pushes. Like, see something, say something. Yeah, yeah. You know, there, and I feel like our awareness of what to do or what we should do in situations like that is so much higher. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why they didn't, but I'm going to guess it wasn't as publicized. Well, that- and it's also this stuff will happen and it's, I kind of laugh at the sentence of, well, I didn't think anything of it. You, mm-hmm. you see something or you hear something that's completely out of place and in your mind, it tries to do gymnastics to make it make sense or you'll just ignore it or deny it and go, well, I didn't think anything of it. Always think something of it. Right. Listen Better to say than sorry. Yes. So he tells his sister this. He leaves Tucson for California on a bus with a bag that held his gun and those bullets. He also had the book Catcher in the Rye and Mm. the note that Rebecca had written to him and the picture that she had sent him a few years earlier. And by the way, you know the significance of Catcher in the Rye. Yeah, the John Lennon. Yeah, same book that Mark Chapman was carrying when he murdered John Lennon Mm -hmm. in 1980. Mm -hmm. So when Robert Bardo arrives in LA, he goes to the address that he's been given. At least one neighbor, and I believe it was more than one, described that Robert was walking around that area like wandering 
wandering around with this picture in his hand asking people, have you seen her? Do you know where she lives? Is she around here? Mm-hmm. One neighbor used the words weird and demonic to describe Ooh. how this guy looked. Ooh. Yeah, Ooh. I know. They need to call the police. So then Robert goes to Rebecca's doorstep. He rings the doorbell. And that morning, the intercom was not working in the apartment complex. And of course, she's waiting for, for this really important delivery. Yeah. So she goes down herself. She opens the door. And it's said that he mumbled something about being her biggest fan. She politely shook his hand, saying she had to go. The Good Housekeeping article I read said that she smiled at him and even told him to please take care. But whatever happened... But that's from him. He's t- he's relaying that. Nobody yes, else heard that. right. Exactly. Okay. But he leaves and he heads to a nearby restaurant to get a little food and he is angry. And in, the more he sits, the angrier he gets. He thinks he was rejected by mm-hmm. her. He decides he's going to go back. But it said that first he called his sister and told her that she was going to hear something about him, which they said concerned her at the time. But she's in Tucson. He's in L.A. So about an hour after his first visit, he shows back up on Rebecca's doorstep. Again, she answers the door herself. And this is how Robert describes the moment to his psychiatrist in one of those interviews. He said, this is a quote, she was in her bathrobe and I was thinking, this is the wrong time. She's taking a shower. She said, you came to my door again. It was like I was bothering her again. Hurry up. I don't have much time. He says, I thought that was a very callous thing to say Mm. to a fan. Mm. He then showed, and this is him in the interview, he showed, he was kind of acting it out, how he pulled the gun from the bag, aimed it at her and fired. And he even mimicked the sound of the weapon. Mm. Yeah. So in that 2020 episode, it said that when she basically told Robert he was wasting her time, it set him off. Again, just as he had acted out in in that interview, he took out the magnum and he shot her in the chest point blank. Mm. One neighbor reported hearing a long, loud scream. I'm not sure if it's that same neighbor or a different neighbor said that they reported they heard Rebecca sobbing and saying, why me? Mm. I remember that it was either why or why me. This is so heartbreaking. According to Robert... More quotes from that interview. He said, she was just screaming. She was going, why, why? And I was still fumbling around thinking I should blow my head off and fall on her. Oh, oh, Lord. I know this Mm -hmm. is so disturbing. Mm -hmm. Um, He also expressed surprise at how easy it was. He said he expected he'd have to maybe shoot a security guard or face some kind of conflict to get to her. But according to him, quote, she just answered the door like a regular person. She yeah. is a regular person. She just does film. That's her job. An ambulance came, but she died 30 minutes later. Oh, gosh. I know. I'm very, with the kind of bullets you said, I'm very surprised it wasn't some kind of instant death. Yeah. The capture. Right after this happened, people reported seeing a man with a yellow shirt fleeing the scene. They started a manhunt. It was both an air and ground search, but it wasn't even that hard to find him. He got on a bus. He headed back to Tucson, but the very next day, he was running through an intersection screaming, I killed Rebecca Schaefer. He had the picture of her that she had sent him in his pocket. Mm. It took a couple of years before, you know, the trial happened. Robert Bardo agreed to have his case resolved by a judge after the prosecutors agreed that they would not see the death penalty against him so basically what he did was waive the jury in order to like save his own life yeah sure guess who was the deputy district attorney that was prosecuting against him who marcia clark i was okay that would have been my guess marcia wow yeah this is pre the oj simpson thing mm -hmm. yeah so she's interviewed in this 2020 episode as well prosecutor that's Mm -hmm. okay yes okay yes and she shared that proving this guy did it was not the issue he had already confessed yeah but she wanted him to get the max I mean, everybody wanted him to get maximum penalty. His lawyers were trying to lighten his sentence by arguing the mental illness argument. She, on the other hand, was trying to get the maximum penalty by proving premeditation. Okay. And there was. Well, she said it was tricky at first because, you know, you have to have that ironclad evidence, being able to prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. And she said that what it came down to was she was struggling. You know, what was going to be the thing that would put it over the top? And one day she was watching those interviews that Robert had taped with his psychiatrist, psychologist. I'm not sure what the right term is. Was it the People Magazine article? No. Okay. As she was watching him on the interview when he was telling about that encounter at the doorstep and he was mimicking how it happened, he had his arm behind 
behind his back, he was showing how he was hiding the gun. Okay. And then how he pulled it around. He had been holding it in his hand. It was hidden, and then he pulled it so around So it couldn't have been her. a crime of passion because he had to go it for it. It was premeditated. He okay. had been hiding it. He had it ready to go. There was clear intent to kill. Okay. And that was how, that was one of her key pieces of evidence that helped her to prove the premeditation. Okay. So in 1991, he was found guilty of first-degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And he is still serving his life sentence today in a venal state prison in Central California, I believe is how you would say that. In 2007, he was stabbed 11 times by a fellow inmate, but he survived that and he is he's still there today. Wow. Wow. Now, in this uh, 2019 episode, this 2020 episode, they had some more recent interviews with him where he was expressing sadness and remorse. He said that he felt guilty and that Rebecca should be here today. I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said some things to the effect of, I had negative thoughts and I put the blame on her when I shouldn't have. But I'm just going to be honest. As I was listening to it, I'm like, is he just saying things to try to lighten his load or to help his situation somehow? That's not a negative thought that's a premeditated brutal murder mm-hmm. and it doesn't sound like that vocabulary there, there should be vocabulary of just despondency not mm, i had negative thoughts mm-hmm. no yeah i'm not buying it so one of the sources that i used was this good housekeeping article i referenced a few minutes ago and the title was actually how rebecca shaver's horrific murder led to the nation's first anti-stalking law. And that, as we said earlier, is one positive that came from this awful, awful tragedy. So in 1990, which was a year after Rebecca's death, California did pass the United States' first ever anti-stalking law. And here's what it does. It makes it a felony to cause another or their family to be in reasonable fear for their safety and carries a state prison sentence. Today, all 50 states have some type of law against stalking. Okay. Although we still have it going on today. As I was doing research, I saw that Sean Johnson, the gymnast, she's been dealing with a stalker who kind of got obsessed with her during Dancing with the Stars. And I could look up actress after actress. Sandra Bullock had a stalker. Really? Yes. Madonna, Jennifer Aniston. It's like if you look up these different people, I feel like almost all of these famous celebrities have had some type of a stalker experience. There was That reminded me, there was a film and you can find it was a film that was made with an iPhone and mm-hmm. the girl that played the queen the youngest one mm-hmm. she was in it and I'm apologizing for my memory today guys I'm on allergy medicine so I can't really <laughs> I can't quite bring things to the surface as quickly but she was in it and it was where she had a stalker and she kept trying to convince people that she had this stalker mm-hmm. And no one would believe her. And she ended up in some, in some way, Claire Foy, that's her name. Yes. She ended up going to this mental institution and accidentally committing herself because she signed some paperwork and she oh, just, no. it was some kind of trickery, but mm-hmm. she's there. And then her stalker is working at the hospital and she tries to tell everybody, this is my stalker. And they're like, no, it's not. This is so-and-so. He's worked here for years and he's this and this and this. So it made her look crazy. Mm-hmm. This is a fictional movie? Yeah, yeah. It's oh, a fictional okay, okay. movie. It ended up being him. I can't think of the title so I guess I'm not spoiling whatever the film is but if you figure it out (laughs) it is him and they end up she ends up killing him in the end mm. of the film. It mm. was very dramatic, dramatic, mm-hmm. very, it was, it was gross, but there was, she could not get away from him. It was driving her insane and no one would believe her that this mm-hmm. is who the guy was, but he was, he, he was the stalker and she was right. Yeah. Well, I, I have not seen that and, and I know it's fictional, but it, it makes me think about people taking it seriously, right? Yeah. We, we've kind of brought up that issue yeah. a few times already in the example you just gave us, people weren't believing her or taking it seriously. And I do wonder if that's part of the issue to day if people are suffering from a stalker you know are people ready to believe that this is serious yeah and to help because yeah, he in this film she befriended another person and he thought that they were romantically linked which they were not they were just friends and he ended up killing the other guy that's yeah. how serious he was well i wanted to give just one little shout out not that i know her or anything but i thought it was pretty cool pam dauber at the time that rebecca was killed she stepped up it was probably i don't know what the word is it was maybe 
political, which, you know, is not something that, you know, some people want to avoid that, especially Mm -hmm. if you're a celebrity. But she spearheaded a little bit. She she spoke out against people being able to access guns without having some type of a check, you know, mental health check, that type of thing. And so she and some of the other castmates from My Sister Sam got together and and she became a bit of a spokesperson Mm -hmm. for that and probably had something to do with this anti-stalking law getting passed as well because it was another voice. Sure. You know, all of this leads us into our armchair psychologist part. Armchair psychologist. We've been talking a lot about these celebrity cases. And in fact, I'll just throw one more out there. I remember watching The Crown and seeing that even Queen Elizabeth had an incident where she dealt with a stalker who managed to get into her home. How in the world does the Queen of England get a stalker in her home? He got into her bedroom. How? You need to watch that episode. I do. Is it the young one? Mm, I can't remember. I believe it might have been when they had switched out. But anyway, we've talked about a lot about celebrities dealing with this. But honestly, research says that this problem actually happens a lot with just the common everyday situations of people who are involved with this intimate partner, this intimate relationship, and then it breaks up or Mm -hmm. it goes awry and the stalking will happen. Didn't that happen with Jodi Arias? Do you know anything about that case? Oh, is that the person who murdered? Travis. Yes, in the shower. Yeah. 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 They had broken up and Mm -hmm. she started. I don't know that she was actually stalking him, but that sort of reminded me of of that kind of So apparently this issue of of stalking for the everyday person like ourselves is way more common than we realize. In fact, you know, if you start to research this, a lot of sites pop up. In fact, the CDC has a whole page about stalking. And so they- Centers for the Disease Control? Yes. They have an entire page on this. I'm about to share with you some information because I thought maybe it might be helpful to talk about a few things. I think there's also a podcast about stalking. I have not listened to it because I got to say, it would just spook me out. Now, maybe Mm -hmm. I should so that I am more aware. I don't know the name of the podcast. I can look it up and Mm -hmm. see if I can find it for show notes. But it is about people recounting how others have stalked them and what they've done to get out of it. Mm -hmm. But that tells that there's enough incidences that you can have an ongoing podcast about it. Well, before we go into this information, so you've never known of anyone, you've never crossed paths with anyone in your own life who had issues with having to get a protective order or some type of a stalking situation? No. In the course of my lifetime, I've known of a couple. Really? Yeah. And and they were just common everyday people like myself. And it did fit this pattern of a relationship that went awry Uh and and then things got ugly. Wow. Yeah. And maybe I'm not thinking of anything right now, but it's nothing is just springing to mind of someone that I know that's had to have a protective order. Here are a few things that the CDC put out there. First of all, here are just some facts. It says stalking is very common. In fact, one in six women and one in 17 men have experienced stalking in their lifetimes. Is there any such thing as mild stalking like where you get obsessed with a celebrity and you just it's like not with intent to harm but you just sort of follow them around does that qualify at all because you know all of us have gone through when we're younger where you fall in love with some celebrity we have absolutely no real connection to but you would track them in magazines and stuff like that is that different i think that's very different okay i think that's more hormonal <laughs> <laughs> and being interested and following and you know is so different than literally i'm going to try to insert myself mm-hmm. in your life. Mm-hmm. I am trying to get, I'm going to try to get near you. Mm-hmm. I am going to try to make contact with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I think somewhere that line starts to get crossed. Sure, sure. Know? I mean, there's celebrities that I would love to have contact with, but I'm not gonna, like I said, I know the difference. You mm-hmm. know, I know that it's their profession. They're just regular people. This is their profession. I enjoy what they do. I don't think that they are the people that they portray. Right. And, and maybe that comes from us being in that world too, where we understand the separation. Well, back to some facts. Sure. Um, stalking starts early. It said that nearly 54% of the female victims and 41% of the male victims experienced the stalking that they came across before the age of 25. And it said that it's very impactful. It impacts not only the physical, but also the mental health of your victims. Mm -hmm. Yes. It said that research shows stalking can lead to depression Mm -hmm. and even PTSD. Yeah. About 68% of the female and 70% of the male victims experienced 
threats of physical harm mm. during their lifetime, which I'm assuming, of course, was, was associated with the stalking. That would uh, yes. be terrifying. Can you imagine? And knowing that this is being done by someone who knows you so well, they know your patterns, yes. they know where you go, yes. they know where you live, they know where you work. I mean, like all the things. And if they've threatened you, that would just be terrifying. It would. Always looking over your shoulder. Some of the common stalking tactics could include unwanted phone calls and emails and messages and texts and voice, all of the stuff, social media. It could be approaching a victim or showing up unwanted, such as that person's home, workplace, or school. It could be leaving strange or potentially threatening items for the victim to find. It could be watching, following, or tracking that person. It could be sneaking into that person's home or car or doing things mm. just to try to scare them or Mm. let them know that this stalker, this person was there. Mm. So all of those things are considered stalking. Like, Mm. don't do it. It's Mm. not funny. No, no, it's not not. funny. No. And then here are just a few tips that they gave for what you can do to try to stop stalking. It said one suggestion, help others define and recognize stalking behaviors. Yeah. Because sometimes I think people might be like, oh, they're just teasing. Yeah. Or I thought I didn't think I didn't think anything of Mm -hmm. it. Or maybe, oh, this person really likes me. I'm going to be a little flattered by all this attention. Mm -hmm. Maybe I I hope that wouldn't be the case, but you never know. Another suggestion was to mobilize men and boys as allies in prevention efforts, which I think goes both ways. I'm interpreting that as maybe men, young boys, whatever, are more aware of this issue. It could be prevented. But also if a female is feeling threatened by stalking, maybe surrounding themselves with other people could be helpful. Yes. A third suggestion is to create these supporting safe environments within relationships in schools and communities through programs and policies that really promote healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes I think especially, you know, in our society, people have experiences or they might have childhood trauma, different things that might happen to them where they may not really understand what a healthy relationship is supposed to be like. So those were the tidbits I picked up from the CDC. Um, That's so interesting that the CDC would have an article on that. mm -hmm. Interesting. I think it's a bigger problem than we realize. It must be. I'm very glad that we don't realize it. And I'm very sorry for all the people that do have to deal with this. This is horrible. One of the side notes that that came to me as I was doing this, it was just so heartbreaking. And it made me think about, you know, spectator apathy. It made me think about stalking, all of those things. It also made me understand more fully all of those celebrities who are just so protective of their children children's identities and they won't release pictures and they won't release details of their life. I'm like, I understand this now. I I am more appreciative of where they are coming from when they are just... Or that they don't have social media accounts or you you can't find them anywhere online or any of that. Yeah. And it's the super superstars. Mm -hmm. And some some of the not superstars, I don't know, A-list or B-list or whatever you want to call them, but some people just say, no, I'm not doing social media at all. You're not going to be able to find me. And this is probably why they maybe they've had an experience or they've learned from other people's experience and don't mm-hmm. want to go through it. And it's disturbing how some of these stalkers are able to get so far into the lives of the people they're yeah. going after, how they're able to breach those security protocols. Yes. Because I believe it was Sandra Bullock, if, if I'm remembering correctly, who had a stalker actually get into her home. Oh. And she had the quote that she will never be the same. Yeah. Like she will never be the same. Because how could you feel safe again when you feel like this is your place and you've got all of the Mm -hmm. security protocols Mm -hmm. you know going for you and then this person who could harm you harm your family Mm -hmm. is able to get inside i guess the this is not it was not a stalker at all but the closest i could say to that is one day and i think you already know this story but one day i was in my house i was getting ready to run errands i was just living life Mm -hmm. i walk out my door and there's a person sitting on my front porch Mm -hmm. it was a woman and i i think that she may have been on something, you know, but I, if you guys don't know where I live and I'm not going to tell you now, but <laughs> I live in a very remote area where there is not a lot of people around. It's not like this is in a suburb where neighbors would come by mm-hmm. and sit on your porch. I did not know this woman. You do not just happen by my house, right. right? You intentionally come here. So I remember I walked out and I screamed and then I closed, slammed the door and then stupid me, I opened it again. I said, can I help you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
you like to come in? Yeah. I've got some tea. I, oh, <laughs> like, what are you doing, idiot? But I did that. And then she kind of mumbled something about she was looking for my neighbor, but she called them by the wrong name. Oh. And I told her, no, they live X, Y. And she started off down the road and she had two little dogs with her. But she started off down the road and then she just wandered off into the field. Mm. She didn't go to their house. Right. We do have security cameras, thank goodness. So I went back and back and looked and the spookiest part to me, she had been there for 20 minutes. <gasps> Sitting on the while I'm in the house, getting oh, ready, unaware, unaware, and she just been sitting there. The thing I gotta say is with the dogs, the dogs would try to get up on the porch furniture and she wouldn't let them. I'm like, well, thanks <laughs> for not letting your dogs get on the keeping them off the furniture, but it was just so unnerving mm-hmm. and that had never happened. Well, and then we found out that this I don't know if it was her. We call the sheriff and tell them, and they didn't even want to see her picture. They're like, yeah, yeah, there's some lady that's wandering around, and like, so they didn't really do anything right they just knew she existed and they figured she was fairly harmless there we also found out from another neighbor that they used to leave their doors unlocked i don't know if it was her but another woman had wandered into their home and he came home Nuh-uh. and she was cooking and she was smoking his cigarettes sitting at his table not okay not okay no talk about never feeling safe again that and that is Mm-mm. why i don't want i don't like to be alone out here but again, she wasn't a stalker. But that you bring up a point, that anti-stalker law that we just kind of blew past really quickly, it said it made it a felony for people to cause fear or to, let me read it. I'm going to go back to it. It says, makes it a felony to cause another or their family to be in reasonable fear for their safety yeah. and carries a state prison sentence. Yeah. So they've put, you know, a felony on it. They've, they've made, there's a sentence, you know, attached to it. Mm-hmm. But I think what you just brought up with your example is how do you define what that is what what's oh, the, a re- causing reasonable fear right you know like where do they cross the line what right. how much threat does there have to be before right. somebody says oh this is a true danger true and it is stalking and one of the other things i forgot to mention is when i looked at the camera our cameras are placed in certain spots in our home and there's one area that is not covered because we didn't have enough cameras and she came from behind the house Ooh. where i can't see where she came from out by our we have chickens out by the chicken coop and all that kind of stuff and she came up and sat on the porch like she lived there no Mm-mm. i do not like this at i do all. not like this story <laughs> no nope. sam i am no 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 oh my goodness okay well such a such a sad tragic story but glad that we now have a higher awareness of this yes. issue and i that think there that's the thing we gotta learn right something in place to try to to stop to try to help people who are who are suffering from this who are dealing with this hopefully you know more can be done you know things hopefully can get better but really glad that at least we now have some type of protection something that we can do if, if people are suffering from this and, and again we try to learn stuff from true crime think the thing we need to learn from this is never think nothing of it mm-hmm. if your gut tells you that something is wrong or it just feels weird or if you if your friend doesn't notice it but you do say something to them if mm-hmm. you're a little more worldly than they are you've been through things or you know these things you've got this sweet innocent friend just say please you've got to understand you cannot do this and just look out for each other because this is a really awful world sometimes. So on that note, who do we want to cheers? I would say Rebecca. Yeah. Let's cheers to Rebecca and to Pam who did something and looked out and took the steps to make triumph come from tragedy. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. This episode of Scandal Water was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown. That's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. All music was written, composed, performed, and mixed by Josh Martin. The artwork was designed by Matt C. Adams, while our website was developed by Joshua Reith. If you like what you hear and you want to help keep the Scandal Water brewing, please go to our website, scandalwaterpodcast.com. Just click on your podcatcher of choice, then hit follow to subscribe. And while you're there, you might as well leave us a five-star rating and review. And don't forget, it's always more fun when you share your tea with others. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening. My sister Sam was canceled after you said... let me say it again. <laughs> After I said it, they After canceled it. it. They canceled it. <laughs> Darn it. Ashley said I was like seven. Shut that thing down. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> but um, is that your tummy? That was. <laughs> we'll get you a snack. <laughs>